Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Because I think it's incredibly important, I like to start the show by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to remind and continue to encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That's CEO at RainCanada.com. I do answer any and all emails. And if you're inclined, I'd very much appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, other people you know, people you don't know, rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thank you again for the feedback you provide us. It is sincerely appreciated. I'm incredibly excited, as I always am, about my guest today. He is a longtime Ray member and real estate investor. Kyle Guthrow joins me today to share some of his journey, his story, his insights in real estate investing and in business. Now, Kyle's real estate journey began about 11 years ago after graduating from university when he purchased his first investment property with his father. Since then, he's accumulated multiple properties in different locations, uh, Hamilton, Stony Creek, Paris, Brantford, Toronto, and most recently, uh, Lakefront Cottage. During that time, Kyle also became a real estate agent an REIA, a real estate investment advisor, and he stepped up as a global partner with Legacy. And this is where Kyle has really begun taking his game to a whole new level and stepping up to apply his knowledge and expertise to support his clients to achieve their investment and lifestyle dreams. With a personal portfolio that has grown in value to millions of dollars, Kyle leverages his experience and education to mentor and coach other investors in how to profit with various real estate and strategies, including buy and hold investment properties. By day, Kyle's a project manager for a major utility company where he's successfully managed a project portfolio in excess of $200 million. And he applies this experience and know-how to his real estate portfolio, which not surprisingly includes some very tight processes and checklists to help manage his tenants, tenant clients, and to treat his real estate investing like a business. Kyle also volunteers with the Big Brothers program, one of my favorites, by the way, and he is an advocate for a dog rescue. He lives with his wife and two dogs in Toronto, and he can frequently be found up at his cottage 
on the weekends. And when Canadian weather turns a little chilly, which it has a tendency to do, Kyle and his family often travel the world looking for other cultures and countries to explore. He's an avid snowboarder, golfer, water skier, and fitness and nutrition enthusiast. And without any further delay, my guest, Kyle Guthrow. Kyle Guthrow, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Excited to have you on the show, my friend. Good to see you as well. I'm, we're having a Zoom call. Thanks for having me. Glad I could be a part of it. So I'm I'm really excited about the conversation that we're going to have today. And you know, certainly having gotten to know you over the past, particularly over the past year or two, you as a RAIN member, but also in business outside of that. But I always want to start to give the listeners a feel for who you are and what you do. And if I was to say, give me your 30 second, 60 second, whatever it is for you, elevator pitch and said, Kyle Guthrow, what do you do? Now I know it's a lot, but why don't you give me a background of what you do and uh, what your business is all about and what, what's Kyle all about? 30 seconds or less. No, I'm kidding. Go. Uh, in my 30 second elevator pitch, usually the first question I ask the person is what time of the day is it? And what day of the week is it? Because that answer can change drastically. So during the day, I am in the utility business as a project manager, uh, manage a portfolio of 100 million plus. And at night, I dabble in the real estate transactional side. And I've been a long-term real estate investor for about 12 years. Was that my 30 seconds right there? That's 30 seconds. That's pretty, that's pretty fast and efficient. Now, you've been a RAIN member for a while. How long have you been a RAIN member, Kyle? Since September 2012. Wow, so you've been uh, you've been hanging around the joint for quite some time. Oh yeah, been learning from the best. That's great. So in the world of real estate, let's well let's go down in any path you want, but let's talk about real estate a little bit. Now, how did you get involved in real estate, and and why was that a path that you chose to go down, given some of the background that you've got? So interesting enough, it all started when I got out of university. I landed a wonderful job. And started saving up some money uh, at the time. I just recently moved back home. And my dad presented an opportunity to me. The stock market was not doing too well. It was 2008. And he wanted to diversify his portfolio. And he mentioned, let's get into real estate. See, after I just left university, I witnessed what we did to that poor landlord's house. And my first answer was, absolutely not. There is no way I'm being a landlord. But my dad was persistent and he kind of pushed me, kept moving forward and said, oh, come on, it will be fun. I said, all right, I'm living under your roof. I got some extra money lying around. Why not? So we started sifting around looking for some properties in uh, Hamilton, basically where I was uh, born and raised. And it was in the heart of 2008 when we just were literally knocking on people's doors saying, hey, notice your house is for sale and just offering ridiculous amounts of money on their properties just saying, Will you take this? And they'd slam the door in our face saying, absolutely not. Then we actually had an individual who just kind of was on the outs and wanted to sell their property. We gave them a lowball offer and they accepted it. A few months later, we closed the deal, started renovating the property. And this is where I got my first real flavor of real estate. It was a great opportunity because I got to work hand in hand with my dad. And I think just the skills that he taught me and the things that I learned was help that helped me kind of move to where I am today. There was a lot of 
nasty things in that house. <laughs> uh, from ripping up the basement and seeing mold to having asbestos-style ceilings, it wasn't a fun property to start with. And for certain, my dad and I didn't really have a clue what we were doing. But uh, we pursued on, ended up finding a wonderful family to move into it after renovating it. But then not even a, maybe two months in, we get the phone call. There's water in the basement. So initially, we're like, okay, what did we get into? The freshly painted walls that we just finished putting together had to come down. And it was in that moment that we saw a massive crack in the foundation. And that was the biggest test of them all. Looked to my dad saying, what did you get me into? Got some quotes and... For those that are familiar with cracked foundations, they are not cheap. About $8,000 later, we repaired it, patched up the walls, and got our tenants back and happy. But it taught us a wonderful lesson that, you know what, you can get through those adversities if you treat real estate like a business. Having a business background from university and being a project manager, I kind of knew how to handle those situations. but. What we didn't anticipate was the difficulty of dealing with contractors, the difficulty of trying to keep your tenants or what I call clients happy. So that's where it all kind of started. And then from there, we just kept branching and buying more, turned our attention to more new, newer development. Hamilton was uh, going through a little bit of regrowth especially in the Stony Creek market and on the mountain, there's a lot of new development. And we just started paying attention to that. Let's go back, Kyle, before we get into where you got to, I want to go back a little bit. Now, first off, a crack foundation, eight grand. You know, I can share a couple stories about buggered up foundations in my portfolio that one of them cost me 40 grand by the time it was all said and done. So I think the lesson that you got $8,000 was relatively inexpensive to me. And it was probably a little bit of karma that you were paying from your university days where uh, you were afraid to be a landlord given the kind of tenant you were going to university. So I just got, I just wanted to say that. I wasn't the only bad one. There was <laughs> six, six of us in oh, there that were pretty oh, bad. <laughs> okay, sure. Deflect, deflect. Now, tell me a little bit. You came out of university with a business degree? Yeah. And you uh so you you were pretty tight with your dad are you still tight with your dad today oh yeah extremely tight converse almost daily yeah that's great that's awesome to have that kind of relationship with the parent uh particularly as men you know to have it with a father is terrific now he guided you and you're still doing business today with your with your dad yep yep we still have a we have an actual property closing in october that we've uh, purchased together the first property that you did, was it a single family or just a, a simple bungalow kind of thing? Yep. Single family, three bedroom, two bathroom bungalow with a finished basement. As simple as it gets. Yeah, that's perfect. So, you know, given all that went on with the cracked foundation and the rehab that you have to do, the warranty, to, that was a warranty repair, I'm assuming that you did for your clients at the time? You bit the bullet yes. on that one? Yeah. So did you did you end up making a profit on that particular property? Uh, yeah, we, so we ended up buying in the, the heart of the credit kind of crisis and we didn't end up selling it for about another six years later. And by that time, Hamilton was like exploding. 
the bidding wars were coming. We sold it maybe six months premature, just before it really started to peak. But we did make some good coin off that. And we, what the biggest thing we were able to take away from that was we were able to refinance it and pull equity out and purchase multiple properties from it as well. So at the time, why Hamilton? I mean, you're, I think you said 2008. Uh, what, was, what was your, I guess, what was your background, your trigger in jumping into Hamilton at that time? Well, oddly enough, it was because that's where I was born and where I was raised. It was about a 10-minute drive from my parents' place. We knew the area fairly well. It was a relatively cheaper property. And it, we got attracted to the lot. It had a beautiful corner lot, long driveway. And we just saw a lot of potential in a, in a good neighborhood. And we just thought it would be a great attraction for those young families, which is the primary clients we like to uh, go after. Now you're you're entrepreneurial by spirit and in, in, in your you know just in how you show up. Although you're a project manager working with a utility company, but the I guess the question I have for you is that the entrepreneurial spirit that you have and the business kind of savvy that you've gained was that something that you were raised around? What was your dad doing? I mean, to take on a, a rehab is one thing, but to continue on as you have, at some point. Is there a switch that went off and went, I love this being in business stuff and real estate's really cool. So was that part of your upbringing? What did your dad do, for example? Uh, my dad was came from this kind of the, the school of hard knocks. He worked his way up, started out as a mechanic when he was 18 and just kind of kept climbing and climbing until now he's an executive with a, a global company. And I just think I learned the rules of working hard, the tenacity to the to never give up and to just keep working towards something that you wanted. And to be honest, I had that stable income from my project manager position that I was able to take a little bit of a risk. The stocks weren't doing it for me. They didn't really excite me. And to be honest, I wanted to be in control of it. I knew that if I purchased a property, I renovated it, I interviewed the clients, I would be in complete control. And that's where I think I gained the flavor for it. I did find myself more attracted to real estate, even at a young age. When my parents were looking for homes, I'd always say, oh, can I see the floor plans? Or can I see the elevation drawings? And I remember being like nine and 10 years old going, this stuff's pretty cool. And it's just interesting that 20 something years later that I've in this almost full time. So I think sometimes even subconsciously as a kid, you don't know what path you're going to go into, but stuff keeps drawing you there and you just keep enjoying it. Now your degree in business, I mean, that in itself is a statement of just what was of interest to you at the time or, or was that one of those, I went to university because my dad thought I should uh, get a degree in business. <laughs> How was it? Was it intentional for you? Were you, uh, were you aside from the parties that you had uh, going to university, uh, which is just good, healthy fun, I think. Uh, what was it, what drove you t- into the business at university? Well, oddly enough, uh, again, going back to just growing up in high school, I'll never forget, I was taking a drafting class and we got to design houses. And I was so ingrained in it. I was like, wow, I think I want to be an architect or even better, an engineer. Oh, God. But, but this is where it got interesting. I took 
grade 12 calculus. No, sorry. I was, I had OAC, OAC calculus. I was the last of grade 13. And I'll never forget taking calculus and getting my ass kicked. Like I couldn't figure out any of it. And then I kind of realized maybe I'm not smart enough for engineering. Let's jump into business. And I think it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I, you know, it's interesting is that uh, I know so many engineers and they just, I mean, the way they're wired, the way they think is so different. So when you said engineer and I, knowing you the way I know you, I kind of went, you're the furthest thing from an engineer, <laughs> which isn't to say you're not smart. It's just that you don't think like an engineer does. I, I believe anyways, that's my story yeah. that I tell myself. I completely, I completely agree with you. And what's oddly enough about all of the, cir- the circumstances is that I manage teams of engineers and they just can't escape me. And it's so interesting to see how their minds work. And some of them are absolutely brilliant. And it's just so good to rely on their expertise. And sit there going, there is no way I could have been one of you guys. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. I, I admire that that uh, that quality of uh, mindset and and just smartness. I guess is the word because it's just not where I'm at at all. So that's really cool. We do need our engineers, that's for sure. So tell me a little bit more about your business background because. As much as you got into real estate, you're a project manager. How did you get the project management thing? Was it something that you, like your dad, started and, and worked your way up? Or did you actually apply for that position? Is that how you got into the game of uh, being a project manager? Uh, so, again, kind of just working my way through the company. I actually, oddly enough, company in the engineering department. They needed a business mind that would think differently. So when I jumped into the company, the first two years, I was in the engineering group, and I didn't really find my place there. Oddly enough, I went back into another segment of the business world that I didn't really love, but thought I would try, which was corporate finance. This is where I learned a lot of the good skills in terms of budgets and working with financials. But I always kept finding myself getting drawn to wanting to lead. And working in the finance group very closely with project managers I just knew I connected with them. So when a position opened up in project management, I jumped on it. And I took it in with open arms and just said, back to kind of everything I've learned growing up was that I truly believe that every individual can learn any skill set. They may not have the designation or the degree or the letters behind their name to prove otherwise. But I just found that, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? Let's learn it. So when I jumped into project management and I was able to lead teams, I just found my kind of comfort zone, my niche, and I started excelling at it. And I noticed that my engagement really started to improve. I, ha- I was more satisfied at work. I was happier at home. Mind you, project management can be very stressful, especially being the leader of the team. Everyone turns to you. I enjoyed every second of it. I actually kind of get bored with doing routine. And for me, coming into work and seeing something different and dealing with a different type of problem every day, that's where I was really gaining a lot of my energy from. So that's how I kind of landed in that position. Now, you're, I mean, you're a relatively young guy. And in the world of project management, and you've got engineers, and I'm assuming that you're surrounded by people that are also a little older than you, more mature than you, maybe even more experienced in certain areas than you are. How do you deal with that? kind of day-to-day uh, relationship? I actually love it. 
the way I kind of manage my projects is I walk in and I explain to everybody, I don't care if you're a construction worker with a high school degree or you're an engineer with a PhD. Let's everybody leave the egos outside the door and let's work towards the common goal. And some of the brightest people weren't always the oldest. And some of the most experienced people weren't the smartest. And I think the biggest takeaway I kept taking from a lot of my project teams was I was dealing with so many types of business. I was dealing with people that were accounting designations and CPAs and CGAs. I was dealing with engineers that had PhDs. I was dealing with construction guys that had been there for 40 years that could design a station without looking at it. So I just always relied on expertise and knowledge. And to be honest, I just always gave everyone equal opportunity to speak, equal opportunity to voice their opinions and stir the conversation. Because if there's always one person leading the conversation, you're always kind of going to get the same results. And that's what I always didn't want to do. I wanted to avoid that. So I think that's the most fun part about being a project manager is that I get to see every aspect of the business, not just finance, not just construction, not just engineering. You know, in the context of seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results, you know, number one, that's why I invited you on the show. I wonder, though, as I'm listening to you talk about project management and how you show up, parking egos at the door, all of those things, you know, leadership is not something that comes naturally. I think there, there are some people that have a propensity to being strong leaders just in the character that they are and, and how they show up. The question I would have for you is how intentional is your learning around being a great leader in the development of your leadership skills or are you quite reflective of how you're being and how you're showing up? Is that kind of some of the work that you're doing in behind the scenes uh, on in, in the work that you do on yourself, Kyle? For sure. I do a lot of reflection and I think sometimes the hardest critic is myself. I put a lot of sometimes unnecessary pressure on myself to perform and sometimes that shows up unfortunately in a in a kind of a wrong way where individuals are feel like they're threatened or they're at risk or why is this pm being so difficult with me so i think sometimes i stop and reflect and just realize how much i've gained from working with these wonderful individuals but the knowledge that I've learned, and just how much fun I have doing the job. There's not a lot of companies out there that will let you go from engineering to corporate finance to supply chain to project management to public relations such as this company. And I think the biggest thing I was able to learn or the humbling experiences was, was that if you're eager to learn, just like as if you're eager to learn real estate, the opportunities are literally endless. And I just often find myself reflecting, going, I can't believe I just did a presentation on electrical engineering. And I'm not even an engineer. And it just kind of goes back to when I was in high school, going, I didn't have the smarts to become one, but I knew how to work with the people that knew the side of that world. And I just, I think the biggest thing I was able to learn over those past 11 years is just be a sponge. Keep learning. Keep looking at opportunities. When people say no, 
don't take it. There's always another yes on the other side. And I think uh, sometimes individuals, not going to point in certain groups, but will just constantly say it's black and white. This can't be done. Why? Well, why can't? Why can't we challenge the status quo? So I think uh, that's the biggest thing. It's just being a sponge and reflecting and learning how you can become better as not just a, a leader, but also as a person. A lot of times I start my project meetings with a conversation. How's your family doing? How's the kids doing? What's new? It doesn't always need to be business. And I think, especially in today's society, we're really, really need that connection. I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, I think think it does. I mean, it's a statement of character. It's a statement of where you connect and the relationship you create. I mean, I believe 100% that the success of any team is also around the environment that you create for your team. What conditions are they working in and, and how are you setting them up to win? The conversations that you're having with them to listen and to hear what they need, as well as the culture. I mean, you're creating a culture within whatever department you have that gives people the freedom to at least uh, show up in a certain way and have conversations that they may need to just get off their chest in the moment and feel safe in doing that. And I think that's a very powerful leadership skill to develop. I think it's a great team environment to uh, to create. So that's my view of the world from listening to you and, and also my own, my own background in team and leadership. So I think it's great. I think it's awesome. Now, just to add, just yeah. to add to that, a lot of it was learned. I learned through osmosis. I was witnessing other project managers do a good job. I was witnessing leaders like my parents lead by example and not just say they were going to do it, but actually lead. And I think so often I find myself attracted to individuals and working with individuals like such as yourself and Richard and Don. And I just learned so much through watching and seeing how people interact and see how people lead and focusing on people's body languages and how they can basically uh, develop those skills. I think it's just a great quality to have. You know, that's being mindful, being thoughtful, being aware, because change within us only comes from the awareness that we have of ourselves or that we'll take on if somebody points something out to us that we can improve or something that's great about what we're doing and to keep it up to amplify it, if you will. So I think, once again, I think that is just a quality of anybody who's had any degree of success is that reflection, as you've said, and to really be aware and mindful of it. Now, in the context of the real estate investment, I mean, aside from the the job and the paycheck and the steady income and, and all of the things that being a project manager provides you, I'm assuming you bring a lot of that experience into your real estate investing. Now, your first property was a, kind of a fix and flip. Is that is that something that you do on a regular basis? Is that part of your strategy now? Or, or what is your real estate investing strategy? Uh, my real estate investment strategy is not that I avoid fix and flip now. I just they were very time consuming. And unfortunately for myself was when we were learning, we were in the trenches, we were doing the work, we were painting. And I'll never forget it. When I first worked on that property, I was working 20 hours a day, I would be working a full time job. And then I would go home and work till midnight on the rental property. And then on the weekends, were consumed by renovating this rental property. So Looking back, I'm glad I did it because I learned a great great amount of skills. But at this day and age, I would just rather contract it out, hire people to do the work. 
Now, predominantly my focus is on the newer builds. I ended up uh, meeting and working with some developers and they were selling uh, a lot of properties in Stony Creek. Accidentally enough, I ended up purchasing one for myself to live in. And I share this story because I think this is this happens to a lot of people. Purchase this beautiful townhouse, not a dream home, but my first real starter home. And three bedroom, three bathroom, 1,600 square feet. I didn't know what I was going to do with all this space. But it was my first kind of time of getting out of the nest. Two months before I'm about to move in, my girlfriend and I at the time ended up splitting. I looked at this house going, all right, now what? We had gone furniture shopping. We had picked out stuff for the place. And we broke up. Uh, I was devastated. It was quite hard. Uh, It got to the point where I didn't want the property anymore. I wanted to leave. There was too many bad memories. And I just didn't want to own this property. But I decided to move in anyways. Three months later, it became too hard. The commute was getting to me. I wanted something different in my life. I ended up uh, renting the place out and moving out after three months. Hmm. Waiting a year and a half for it to get built, I moved out after three months. And it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. When people talk about turning points in their life, that was one of them. It was truly a blessing in disguise. And then it just kind of trickled into, as soon as I rented that one out, it started the real journey because I was able to realize how easy it was to rent out, how quickly I got it rented out, the amount of money I got for the rent, which was mind-blowing at the time. I ended up going back to the developer and saying, hey, got any more of those for sale? My family and I ended up purchasing four more on the same street. And that's what just kind of really catapulted the real estate investing side. So as you continue to invest in real estate, you brought your family into it. And so are they part of what your business structure is today in terms of the real estate investing that you do? Yeah. So I do own some on my uh, by myself. And I do own some with uh, my father. But what happened was we ended up getting my brothers involved. My brothers are uh, twins and they're a year younger uh, than me. And they kind of saw the opportunity, did almost the exact same thing I did, moved into it. But they stayed a little longer than the three months and just realized that they needed something bigger and held on to the asset. And went and purchased off a principal residence. But with that being said, we just noticed that they were such a great fit for us. We all had full-time jobs. We didn't have the opportunities to work every single weekend on a rental. And they were just, we wanted something that was turnkey. They were brand new. They were upgraded to the max. They had the stainless steel appliances, the hardwood floors and the stone countertops. They were really nice. And That's why we were able to generate some high-end rents for them. And they were just, we were looking something for that was a little more turnkey. So that's a strategy that you got into and that you locked it down. You decided the highest, best use of your time was not to be doing the renovation yourself and to contract it out. I think that sometimes as a coach, you know, I know that you, or I believe you coach some other real estate investors. Is is that, am I correct in that, in that assumption? 
Yes, I do. And yeah. I mentor a lot of the, uh, the younger generation, which helps. Now, I see too that often is that people or investors in general don't get as clear as you got as quickly as you got. I mean, do you still own the prop that first property you bought in Stony Creek? Was it? Yeah. That one was in Hamilton. And unfortunately talk about mistakes and what had happened was that family that was there for five, six years, they started to become difficult. They didn't take care of the property. The house was aging. The renovations that we were doing were not appreciated. We installed a brand new kitchen. And not even a month later, they called the city on us for a mold problem that didn't even really come to fruition. The city came in, inspected it, gave us a little small thing to fix, and the problem was solved. He's like, you'll never hear from me again. And it was in that moment that I was like, this isn't the strategy for us. I didn't want to deal with this aging home that needed a roof and needed a kitchen and needed a bathroom and locked insulation. So my dad and I ended up fixing it, renovating it, spending six weeks on it nonstop to sell it. And looking back, wish we didn't because we ended up, yes, making good profit on it, but seeing what it's worth today is a bit of a hard pill to swallow. So the, the biggest le lesson we learned from that was that don't let the emotions get involved. Don't let the tenants bother you. Don't let the property kind of eat away at you and allow that stress to in come into your life. And I'm not going to lie, Patrick, that was one of the hardest six weeks of my life because it just was so much stress of what am I going to do? How am I going to get these tenants out? The, when they called the city on me, I was like flabbergasted that they could do that. And again, I just looked at it going, this is such a problem. I need to get rid of it. And it was a mistake that maybe we shouldn't have. We should have toughed that one out. So to answer your question, yes, we did end up selling that one. And I have not sold one of them since. <laughs> what was the, you know, it, it, it brings up a question that I often ask that what was your biggest mistake or, or failure that turned out to be a blessing in disguise. I mean, you could look at this that you call a mistake, but there was also a blessing in it that it taught you that you got to take the emotion out of some of the things that you're doing. It also sets you on a journey of being more specific in terms of the strategy and the types of real estate that you wanted to perhaps invest in. But do you have a biggest failure that turned out to be a real blessing in disguise other than the one that you just described, which I also see as a blessing, by the way? I have one of the greatest that, oh man, I probably was the most stressed I've been in my life. That uh, townhouse that I spoke of that my girlfriend, my then girlfriend and I were supposed to move into, that I moved out of three months later, my <laughs> I rented it out, my first rental by myself, didn't really know what I was doing. I wasn't part of Rain yet. I had some documents in place. I had a decent lease but I didn't have the checks and balances that I do now. I ended up renting it out to a tenant. I looked at his application. There was a lot of holes in it. His story wasn't checking out. Things weren't matching. Things weren't making sense financially with him. His credit report was okay. I ended up proceeding with it because I thought 
I'm never going to get a tenant that's going to pay this much for rent. I got to jump on this. I was just sitting there going, this guy is, I can't believe he's paying this much for rent. So I took it. He moved in on July 15th, 2012. I got a phone call on July 15th, 2012 at two o'clock in the morning from the Hamilton police saying, are you the owner of this property? Yes, officer, I am. Uh, We have some unfortunate news. There is a massive brawl happening on your street at your residence. So initially panic set in. Uh, I tried reaching out to the tenant, couldn't get a hold of him. I thankfully had my next door neighbor's number, called him and was like, what's going on? He's like, Kyle, there's a massive party at your house and there is a huge fight. We don't know how to break it up, so we called the cops. Unfortunately for myself, I wasn't in the city at the time, but he sent me a photo of it. There was 12 police cruisers out front of my house. (laughs) I show up the next day. My door is demolished, (laughs) smashed to pieces. I was finding out afterwards that the tenant had ran, locked the door, and the police were trying to kick it down. I got his side of the story afterwards, which didn't make sense. I ended up talking to the police officers after interviewing my neighbors, finding out what was happening. And Patrick, it was in that moment that I realized I had to do something bigger and better, not just for myself, but for the community. Having the next door neighbor's wife literally crying in my arms saying, can you please get this tenant out of here? There was blood smeared on her car. Seeing her kids crying, I said to myself, I would never let that happen again. Now, never say never, but I vowed to myself that I would 100% be more diligent with picking tenants, screening them. I was able to get that tenant out in two weeks. Now, Ontario has some of the toughest rules and laws of getting tenants out. I reached out to my lawyer saying, I have a real problem. I have no idea how to get them out of here. He said, threaten them. Threaten to keep his money <laughs> and <laughs> threaten to keep, keep his deposit if he doesn't leave. It ended up working. I have no idea how, but he ended up saying, you know what? This neighborhood's too nice for me. I don't belong here. I was at the point where I was like, I'll pay for your moving truck. He moved out two weeks later. That two weeks was the hardest in my life. I didn't sleep. I wasn't eating. I was so stressed. I didn't know what state he was going to leave my property in, my brand new house. I didn't know what state he was going to leave it in. And to boot, he threatened me that I stole his 80-inch TV because I was the only one that had keys to his place. Patrick, I don't know how I didn't leave real estate at that moment. I wanted to sell the property, roll the keys in, just say, I'm done with this. Well, let's, it was, let's, it was hard. Let's dig into that a little bit, Kyle. I mean, first off, thanks for sharing that story because I wonder though, as you're, as you've got the neighbor sobbing on your shoulder about having this tenant that is your responsibility, or at least you're the one that put him in there. I mean, how did you feel about what was, what was, what were you thinking at that time? I mean, how did that make you feel to have that kind of a, a tenant and, and that kind of stuff going on that. I guess at some level you take responsibility for. I mean, it's not your fault that the tenant's the way he is, but you chose a tenant. How did you feel about it? Uh, you know, Patrick, I felt like it was my fault because as a the business owner of that property, I picked that client. 
I put them in the house. I let them rent it off me. And I didn't do enough due diligence. Looking back, I thought I did. But in today, today's world, there is no chance I would have rented someone like that. And I just remember looking at the homeowner, my next door neighbor, saying, I won't let this happen again. You have my word. I will let it sit vacant until I find somebody that will fit this profile of this community. It was a wonderful little neighborhood. It was up-and-coming families or retired couples. There was no tenants. I was the first person that rented out on that street. Everything was under construction, and people were excited to be in the neighborhood. And I felt like I ruined it. So I did take it really personal. And that's why I just poured everything into it and just said, I'll fix this. And when I got him out, a sense of relief like poured over me. I honestly felt like I got my life back. My work struggled because this was constantly on my mind. My relationships with my friends, I started kind of avoiding people. Now it was only two weeks, but it was really affecting me. And I just had to think, the how am I going to fix the problems that he's going to leave me with? Is he going to literally destroy my house? I heard the horror stories. And I didn't really have a network that I could rely on to help me with those questions and those issues. I didn't have that person to say, oh, I've been there before a thousand times. This is what you do. Go do this, this, this. And the problem will be solved. So let's talk about that a little bit, because, you know, at the end of the day, these scenarios happen. So first off, you commented, you don't know why you didn't quit real estate at that point. And, and certainly even when you do great diligence, you can, you can certainly end up with a, a bad tenant or something that just comes out of left field, like, holy cow, in spite of all the work I did to screen that tenant, this happened. But that is, you certainly want to reduce the risk. But having said all of that, why did you continue in real estate? What was it that got you through that, given the experience that you had at that time? I think just my will to not quit. To not let a tenant ruin something that I worked so hard for. I actually think that what helped that one the most was that I put my personal touch on that property. This one was different because I moved into it. So everything that I picked and selected for upgrades, that was because I wanted it that way. And I wasn't going to let some problem tenant make me sell, at that time, one of my dream houses. It even got to the point where I was thinking, maybe I need to move back into it. I had uh, signed a lease for a place in Toronto. And I was thinking about throwing in uh, the lease and saying, I can't do it. I got to move back to Hamilton. But I said, you know what? I'm not going to let this tenant change the trajectory of my life. I'm not going to let the emotions get to me. And after he moved out, I couldn't believe the demand I got for the place. He surprisingly left it pretty clean. Besides some bags of garbage that I ended up taking to the dump, he left it in pretty good shape. Because you know why? I was at that house every single day. I made his life a little bit difficult. I gave him notice that 24 hours every single day that I'll be coming into the property for something. Check smoke alarms. Who inspect the valve in the bathroom to check the toilet and he was getting frustrated and i said you know what i have a right to come in and enter the property if i give you proper notice to check things and he just kind of realized that 
this guy means business. He's not going to just be a slumlord that's going to lay off and let me take care of his, take advantage of his property. So when you when you look back at the time and now today, and you reflect back on that, do you believe that you had to go through that to be able to achieve some of the results you're achieving today? Because you're looking at those situations now and you're going, they annoy me, but they're not freaking me out to the same degree. I think they were just fantastic life lessons. Whether it was for my real estate tool belt or life tool belt, it just really taught me that if you want to be successful in any aspect of business, you need to learn to deal with the adversities. And if you ask business owners or executives or just people that have been in the trenches, a lot of them will say, don't quit. Don't give up. And at the time when I wanted to quit, I was a lot younger. I wasn't thinking straight. I kind of was in a state where I didn't want the problems. I was almost like I wanted to run away from them. And I didn't really have the knowledge and experience that I do today to handle those situations. Whereas now, when that situation arises, two things I've learned. Money can solve a lot of problems. And I don't mean throw money at them. I mean hire good lawyers that can get them out quicker. Hire people and paralegals that can get out them quicker. Or hire a property manager. If you don't want to deal with that day-to-day stuff, I just realized that you could start delegating this stuff. And the biggest thing I learned from all of it was that everything goes into the planning. And everything that I've learned in real estate is that everything needs to be calculated. Yes, there's going to be risk, but it calculated. And I think back in those days, I just kind of purchased, rented, and hoped for the best. My strategy is a lot different now. I can still go and buy a property site on scene, but at least now it's more calculated. And oddly enough, with after that tenant moved out, my process tightened up. My interviews changed. And guess who ended up getting in there? A wonderful retired couple that lived there for five years, renovated the property, painted the property top to bottom, cleaned up the backyard. They This place was immaculate. And I think maybe that was a bit of the karma coming back to me for the kind of the crap that I went through. But it just, it went to show that I was like, wow, imagine I gave up that property. And that's why just anything that that adversity comes up, whether it's business or life or uh, relationships, I just want to keep pursuing forward and not to quit on it. That's a lot about mindset. You know, there's some really, some phrases that I anchor to, which is, It's not the weight you carry that breaks you down. It's the way you carry the weight. And when these kinds of things happen, we can carry it heavy. I I think it just takes some time to realize, you know, I know that at this point in my life, I I look at some of the things that I deal with on a regular basis. and, And some people would look at that as very stressful or high stress or whatever. And, and I look at it and going, no, it's just life happening and we're dealing with it. And that's just, there's nothing good or bad about it. It just is. And we deal with it the way we deal with it. We handle it the way we handle it. But I think that's a learned skill. Do you, do you pay attention a lot to your own mindset as you're dealing in your project management, your real estate investing? And we want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about some other business things that you've got going on, but is mindset a big part? Is that a, is that a focus of yours? Absolutely. It got really clear about 
three or four years ago. And it was actually at a rain event where it was an acre event where you guys had Bob Proctor on stage. Yes, I recall. And he kept talking about this book, Think and Grow Rich. And I was like, I, and I'd never heard of Bob Proctor at the time. Then I started Googling him. I was like, oh, I was the guy behind the secret. And I started really paying attention to his information and his knowledge and what his studies were. I ended up getting the book. And to this day, it's probably the one of the books that I actually give out the most because it helped change my attitude towards not just business, but life itself. I, it helped me to shape my mindset. And yes, the experiences teach you how to overcome adversity. A lot of it comes down to just the way you look at it. And sometimes those adversities are inevitable. They're going to happen to you. And you just kind of brush your shoulders off and go, okay, let's let's see what this can do. And I think the, the, the thing I enjoy the most is that when people are getting stressed and getting caught up in the emotions of this isn't going to work or that can't be done or why are you buying more real estate or oh, the naysayers just kind of trying to bring you down. It was in those moments that I just kind of realized if you want to be in the top echelon of business, you can't be the average. You can't listen to what everyone else is saying. And when I joined the Rain community, it really dialed me in because I was able to connect with those individuals and ask those difficult questions like, hey guys, I'm super stressed right now. I'm trying not to show it, but I'm in this situation. How do I get out of it? And then you just start realizing that your problem isn't, you're not the only one with it. You start talking to other investors and they've been like, oh yeah, I've been through this before. This is what you do. And it kind of just gives you that sense of relief knowing that you had that background or those individuals that you could rely on. To, so often, I in the beginning especially, I relied on my kind of just own learnings. And then when I started relying on others to have conversations with, especially mindset and depression and anxiety and stress, it really started opening up a new world to me. Yeah, sorry, I'm just getting a, <laughs> a little emotional right now. Um, because, man, life, like you said, is tough. But you just keep pursuing and pushing forward. And many years ago, a good friend of mine who I admired and guided me sometimes said, dude, life is tough. And when you realize it's tough, then it's easy. And so true, you, you know, so thanks for sharing that. You know, one of the, you know, I've often said from stage in the rain room that whatever you've got going on is normal. Anxiety, worry, the good, the bad, all of the things that are happening are normal. Some, everybody in the room has experienced it. Oh, and by the way, that little, uh, you've got, what is that, a bird or a monkey that you've got in the background out there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must, I must apologize. I'm sitting in a park because I got to take advantage of this beautiful day. And, <laughs> and I got some screaming kid in the park next to me. <laughs> that, that's awesome. So I'm on Zoom. So I'm actually looking at you as we're speaking. So the listeners may not know that. And uh, so you're sitting in a beautiful park and 
trees trees behind you and uh, the odd uh, bird that swings by and uh, a siren and or screaming child so yeah the the wonderful <laughs> noises of the city we don't we don't get the the luxury of out west where they get uh, the nice sounds of uh, waving water and uh, with the wind and hey, listen, other beautiful we digress. <laughs> we, we digress, but I, I'll tell you that I, I live on five acres and kind of out in the country, not kind of, I'm out in the country and my neighbor has chickens and a couple, <laughs> a couple of roosters that we've, uh, <laughs> that'll light it up on any given day. And uh, it comes with being in the country, but we are, we've nicknamed, uh, affectionately nicknamed uh, one Roos. And uh, Roos, Roos lights it up. I think he's about 85 decibels when he goes. So anyways, uh, once again, we go down rabbit holes. We digress in our conversations. But that's what it is on this podcast. So Kyle, it's, it's, thanks for sharing that. I think that, that many listeners that are investors and or business owners, real estate investors or business owners, really sometimes isolate. They, they think they're living on an island and that they're the only ones that are going through what they're going through. And I think it's just, I hope it's comforting for all to know that whatever you got going on, it's normal, uh, you know, and, and that's the good, the bad, and, and sometimes the ugly. And, and, and that's just part of being in business. That's part of life. And those are the kinds of things that you go through. So it's always good to hear from somebody that's achieved the degree of success that you've achieved, that it is normal and that you do deal with it to this day. And that is just part of what you do and, and you learn how to handle it. There's a, it's interesting that the book Think and Grow Rich, which you mentioned, uh, I think that probably 80% of the guests that I have on the Everyday Millionaire podcast have read that book. To your uh, point, they also gifted a lot. And I've actually had many interviews and people that I've talked to make a point of reading that book once a year. That's actually on their list of books that they reread and they get something else out of it every single time they reread it. So I think if you're listening to this podcast, that it would serve you if you haven't read the book, Think and Grow Rich, to uh, take it out and read it. Pick up a copy. Absolutely. And just as um, Napoleon Hill mentions in the book, The Power of Repetition. And there were so many things that I took away from it. And just, it's like a, like a movie. When you see it the first time, and then you see it a second time, and you're like, how did I miss that part? It's because sometimes our mental faculties aren't focusing, or you know what, you get drawn off, or you're 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 actually watching, but you're not listening. Or and I just took that as with a book. And that was one of the books that I wanted to keep rereading and rereading. And I just really enjoyed what they had to say in it. And I'm not for here for a pitch for Napoleon Hill. Uh, the book sales have done uh, that for himself, but I just found that was one of the kind of key business books that kind of really helped. Now you're a happily married man mm -hmm. and your wife is working outside the home. Yes. How important is your relationship in the success that you have in your business and in investing in real estate and how important it is, is it for you to do what you do? When I first got into it, I was a little selfish. I was that the guy's guy that wanted to play sports, go out on the weekend, uh, do my real estate, work my full-time job. And sometimes I forgot about my wife. My uh, wife, Kelly, is one of the biggest support 
persons in uh, in my life. She's uh, helped me through some pretty rough patches. Uh, she was one that I always aspired and looked up to because she was a person that no matter what, just kept giving. She was so thoughtful and caring and the love she has towards animal welfare and rescuing dogs and helping individuals. It just kind of reminded me a lot to that. It doesn't always need to be about making money, buying doors, building your portfolio, building your net worth. There was a lot of times where I would bring that stress home with me and it wasn't fair to her. And a lot of times it felt like real estate kind of took precedent over her. And it came actually a couple months, uh, a couple weeks ago, actually. Uh, Kelly and I had been looking around for a cottage for about the last two years in uh, Muskoka. One actually came up two weeks ago. We had lost two bidding wars over the past two summers on two properties that we absolutely fell in love with. And then this one came up. It's uh, on one of the smaller lakes in Muskoka. And when it came up, we went and looked at it. And I told told her, we have to find this place. She looked at me and said, well, can we afford this? I said, I, I don't care. I'm not going to build this real estate portfolio to let it sit there and do stuff for other tenants. We ended up pulling um, some equity out to buy our dream cottage. And that's when it really started to hit me that what real estate could do for not just me, but for my family. It was able to help me live what uh, Rain kind of backs with the living my beliefs. I, we always wanted to own a cottage in Muskoka, and that opportunity happened. Uh, we don't close till August, but just reconnecting with Kelly through real estate and giving us a, a location and a spot for our families to basically enjoy the, the great North. And she's been a huge supporter of everything that I've done. I've came to her with wild ideas saying, Hey honey, I want to become a real estate agent on the side and honey, I want to become a speaker. And she just keeps supporting me. And as much as I pile on my plate, she's always there for me. And I think that's what, uh, has been it's it's what just keeps the spark going for me is that it's not just about real estate it's about what real estate can do for my family in your relationship with Kelly i sometimes look at really powerful relationships and you know obviously you've gone through like all relationships you go through what you go through and adversity and you come out the other side and you're both better for it generally and and that always boils down to communication do you and Kelly really kind of intentionally dive into issues that you deal with? The reason I think it's so important is because as I talk to so many individuals who are who are successful, and I, and I don't mean just financially, by the way. I, I, if success was only measured by money, I, I wouldn't be actually doing this particular podcast. I look at success and it is a really holistic view and, and achieving the result of being what I refer to as an everyday millionaire is awesome. But it takes some doing and it also takes a more holistic approach to it. And, and so do you and Kelly, are you really intentional around your conversations and your communication 
are you more respectful for each other because of the adversity you've faced over the years? Or what is it for you in that regard? I think like most marriages, and I'm, I, I do want to share this with listeners as hard as and difficult as it is, is that Kelly and I were close to ending it. There was times where it got so rough and so hard that we just didn't want to do it anymore. And it just went back to not quitting. I truly believe that I just didn't want to be a failure. I strung that pain and that pressure over me. And I just said, we got to work through this. We got to get through it. And there's still struggles. Uh, There's a lot of times where the struggle is my fault. I take way too much on sometimes and fill my day with business and full-time job and real estate and speaking and other avenues and being a big brother in the mentorship program that I so often have to reflect at the end of the busy day and just remind myself, I can't take Kelly for granted. And we need to have those difficult conversations. And sometimes the, the great conversations happen in the car rides to Muskoka. My in-laws actually uh, retired up in Muskoka, and that's why we really started falling in love with that place. And I just wanted to produce a different type of lifestyle. I love the rat race and the craziness of the city, but we also wanted to create something there we could escape to. And I think I mentioned earlier where real estate always kind of felt like that was my baby. Kelly kind of felt left out. And when we purchased this cottage, I could see the spark and the excitement back in the relationship of picking out furniture and what color are we going to paint it and how are we going to renovate it and just looking forward to the memories we're going to create on the boat and sit by the campfire. So I'm looking forward to having even more opportunities to converse and dealing with the difficult situations that the stresses of the city put on us. She has got a side hustle of her own. She works full-time in the HR world, and she's extremely good at it. But her passion is in nutrition and going back to helping individuals. And come August, she's going to be a registered certified nutritionist that she's been working extremely hard towards. So it's not just the stress of real estate in the city, but you add a, a secondary thing like school into it, And man, there's times where it was like, walk into the house and high five. Hi, honey. How are your day? Good. Great. All right. I'm off. I got to study and you got to go out and sell real estate. So there was sometimes we lived in a high five relationship, (laughs) but we, we knew how to talk and we knew how to communicate and we knew how to get through it. And we knew that we just had to keep pushing forward. and. You know what, that stuff's, those adversities are going to come up. Thanks for sharing that. I think that the realization that I'd like people to have is that this is pretty normal stuff. You know, I look at Stephanie and I just celebrated our 22nd anniversary as a couple and, and we've been together about 25 or so years. And the realization for us is, you know, you talk about a high five relationship, you know, gosh, we do logistics and we're literally, sometimes she's dropping the vehicle off. Like we're coordinating saying, okay, if you go to the airport, 
leave the car with valet. When I fly in, I'll pick it up, make sure the keys are there, or we take pictures of the uh, stalls we park in so the other person can pick it up. So that's just the lifestyle that we have, and we wouldn't change it, by the way. We love it, and, and we love being on the go and, and being on the fly and having the businesses we have. And But it does take a, a real intentional level of communication and respect for each other's time and energy and and the emotionality that we we go through as a as a couple and as individuals taking on what we take on. Sometimes we're both, you know, I'm tired, she's tired. You know, we we hit the wall and we have to sit back and, you know, and hunker down and have a great conversation and just reconnect. It sounds like you and Kelly have got that mastered now or at least working on mastery of it. Working towards it. Of <laughs> course, <laughs> we all are. Hey, so you talked about nutrition. Now, Kyle, you're a you're a fit young man and uh you're you're nutritionally sound the has that always been your journey is that part of your day is a is a good workout and uh, eating right is that all part of your day is that something that you've discovered along the way that's important for you absolutely and it really does help especially in the last two years having kelly at home saying take this eat that uh take two teaspoons of that and i'm like what is this? What does it do? And she's like, just trust me. And, and, but the journey started when I was younger, it was watching my dad. Uh, we had a home gym in our basement and he had a workout friend. That's a, a family friend that I would, I, funny, oddly enough, I call him my uncle because I saw him so much, but I got to witness them working out when I was such a young age, they would go, uh, three days a week. And, We'd go down there and we'd have our little blue plastic weights and we'd work out with them. And then when we started getting older, uh, saying we, my brothers and I, we just wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps. Growing up in a house full of boys, it got very competitive. Who could bench press more? Who could do more chin-ups? Who could squat more? So it became a fun game between my brothers and I, but then it ended up developing more. And as we got older, life got crazier schools piled on and then we were heavily involved in rep hockey and i swear my parents became a limo service to track uh trekking my brothers and i across the province to play in hockey tournaments but we carried that on and my parents taught me so much about eating right and not being able to just go into the cookie jar and take 12 cookies you were allowed one or two and that carried on with me and then seeing that my dad's still working out at his age and actively in golf and in playing hockey. And I just wanted to keep that going. For me, it was always just part of a routine. I think the biggest thing that I learned, especially in the last few years, and a lot of the talks that I do to uh, the just general public is I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I get to work out. So many people look at it like, oh, I have to work out. I'm looking at it to the point even where if there's a set of stairs or an escalator, I'm taking the stairs. Because so many people look at it and maybe their head's in their phone or they're not paying attention. It's just becoming aware that, you know what? I have the ability to walk up those stairs. I have the ability to work out and push myself. and some people don't. And I just look at it like having so much gratitude towards that. And I think that's where my mindset really started to change was just identifying that I am grateful and I have the opportunity 
to eat the most nutritious food on the planet. Now, sometimes I don't, and I enjoy the odd crappy food. But I look at it going, and I'm going to share this because I'm a big believer in it. I'm going to blow out 100 candles on my birthday, and I'm going to be of sound mind. I told myself that. That's my mindset. So every time that I wake up, I realize that I'm counting down the days until 100. Now, after 100 and I something happens, I'm okay with that. But my goal is to live to 100. And in order to do that, I got to work out and I got to eat clean. And for myself, it was just surrounding myself with people that had similar goals. I ended up joining a, a military-style boot camp about two years ago in city. And I thought I worked out hard before then. <laughs> it was a huge eye-opener when I started going to uh, this gym. And oddly enough, it was around the same time that I started exploring different types of eating. Um, my cousin, who was a vegan vegetarian at the time, posted an article on Facebook and talk about aha moments. I remember watching that video, and I don't want to dive into the details, but watching that video saying, I need to change the way I eat. I need to change the way I, I look at things. I need to change what I put in my body. And I just, I don't look at it as I have to. I look at it as that I get to. And I just honestly, like the book says in Think and Grow Rich, create a habit around it. And I did. I, uh, I recently uh, interviewed a former Olympic athlete, Leon Taylor, who was a diver in, for the UK. And he talked about he creating habits and he's busy. He's flying around the world. He speaks, you know, his past was as an Olympic athlete, but he's a business guy now, but he has learned. And he taught me something that was very interesting about working out because he's busy too. And he doesn't always get a workout in, but one thing that he always will do, even if it's a downward dog, and that's the only thing he does all day, he'll do it because it reminds and keeps the habit consistent with I'm doing something that is an activity. So it's like training and all he's doing, even if it's one downward dog or a 60 second yoga stretch or a pose that he holds, it's ultimately telling your body that I am working out and I'm going to continue to work out today is 60 seconds, but I always do it. It was kind of a, cause I train a lot and some days I don't want to, or some days I don't have time to, but he always, uh, he taught me that he said, just always do it because it's just telling your body that you're still working out. So it was just interesting, kind of a mental thing. Now you work out, you read a lot, you've got a great relationship with your with your wife. What other kind of habits do you have? I mean, you've 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 enjoyed a really great and a high degree of success. You are a real estate investor, you're a project manager for a utility company, you've taken on other business things that we actually didn't get into today, but I think these were important conversations that we had. What other kinds of practices do you have that, uh, that you use? Are you a meditator? Do you journal? What other kinds of things do you do, Kyle, that kind of keep your head on straight, mindset that you reflect on? Are those the kind of tools that you use as well? Many do, not one's right or one's wrong. I'm just trying to get into the habits of those that uh, have gone before us in terms of creating success. More along the lines of just discovering this, probably a few years ago when I picked up that book, Think and Grow Rich, it was that I wanted to start documenting things. I wanted to start writing things down. I wanted to start realizing how I was feeling and maybe what was causing that mood that day. So I kind of uh, accidentally was in chapters, I believe, and picked up a five-minute journal. And I was like, I don't have time to journal. 
But I said, you know what? I'm going to try it. Uh, a friend recommended it. And I said, ah, what's the worst that can happen? So every morning I started journaling. And it was three very, uh, sorry, six very simple questions. Three items, what are you grateful for? And three items that, what would make today great? And it just helped me get into the right mindset. Then there was a reflection piece at the end of the night that kind of helped you reflect on the day. Now, there was days, I got to admit, that I wasn't um, doing it every day because life would get busy. I'd be waking up early to travel and I would have forgotten to do it. But I found that when I started working in that, it helped. Then what else was, was starting to really work was I was starting to write down things that I wanted in life. And I was not just writing down, I want to have X amount of dollars or I want to be in business for this. It was very concrete. It was going into the emotion of it that to the point where I almost felt like I was doing it, even though it hadn't happened. And I thought that was really important because what was amazing or oddly enough about it was that stuff actually started happening that I didn't think would. And then the opportunities were coming. And there was times where I was looking back going, is that a coincidence? But what made me really realize is that when the opportunity did come up, I took it. I jumped on it. I didn't question it. I wasn't sitting there going, oh, is this right? Is this the right time? The financial? I was just jumping in. And I still do that to this day. Uh, there is times where I wish I had more of it, more opportunities to do it. But it still is something that's very important to me. And it's just about getting into the routines. And one thing that I've been working on, which has been sometimes difficult, is keeping the, the phone out of my bedroom, just locking it in the kitchen and not touching it. And I find that that's been helping. That's one thing that, because there's the odd time I'll wake up in the middle of the night, I can't sleep. And what do I do? Reach my phone. That blue light turns on and then now I'm wired and awake. I started putting more pen to paper. And I think another big thing that I'm really super excited for is that having my in-laws up in Muskoka, it showed me the opportunity that when we were up there on the weekends, I'd wake up extra early. And I normally don't, I'm not a normally a, a huge morning person, but I'd wake up extra early in, in Muskoka, grab the kayak and just go down the lake. And I'll give you an example. This Canada Day weekend on the Sunday, I was up at 4.45 on the lake as the sun was coming up without my phone, just going, wow, this is what life's about. It really helped me to reflect and go look at the things that I've done, the mistakes that I've made, the friendships that I have, the families that I now have. And it just made me super grateful and super aware of everything that's happening around me. Kyle, as we wind down today, this has been a great conversation, by the way. You know, I, I am an early riser, by the way, and, and I think you know that. But So I'm a 5 a.m. guy or a 4.45 a.m. guy. And, and often I'm, of course, on the, I'm, I'm on the phone often at 
6 a.m. Pacific time to uh, have conversations with my business partners in Toronto at 9 a.m. their time. So, you know, but uh, that's that such is life. And that's awesome because uh, I've, I've always been an early riser. So that comes quite naturally to me. But, you know, having a journal is incredibly important. The distractions of phones and social media and all the things that can draw us down certain rabbit holes and get our brains fired in a different direction. These are all great habits that I hear time and time again that the most successful people that I'm meeting are adopting, you know, they're, they're saying, no, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to actually just take a break from social media and shut my brain off around it and not use it at all. And detach from my phone. You know, I'm not taking any emails after X, you know, whatever time of night it is or whatever time of day. And I'm not turning it on again until whatever time of morning. So they're adopting habits that actually give them time to be with themselves to understand that resting and reflection and, you know, you think about the kayak trip that you took where you're actually out that early in the morning with yourself and, and really how much gratitude uh, showed up for you and the reflection that you had. I think those are powerful times for leaders and for business owners and, and to really take that and, and understand that it's necessary. It's a recharge. It's what makes you great. And Kyle, getting to know you over the past while, I see the character that you have and that you are and the way you show up. And this conversation today is, is really in line with the many individuals that I see as very successful. And once again, beyond just their net worth, how they achieve, how they are with the community, the contribution they are to others. And, and so I think it's really important that these conversations on this particular podcast really anchor the listener into this is what it takes. These are proven time and time again to create the success. And so I want to thank you for sharing that. Now, as we wind down the show, Kyle, there are some rapid fire questions that I like to put out there to my guests. They're kind of fun. All right. Are you ready for that? <laughs> I love the challenges. <laughs> okay, here we go. I am. You're going to dig it. What's your favorite swear word? Uh, I often find myself saying fuck a lot. <laughs> That's a popular one, by the way, but there's uh, been some far worse. Do you have a Do you have a favorite quote that you uh, that you ground yourself in at all? Uh, maybe not a quote, but more of like a, a mantra that I kind of live by. And I don't know who coined it or if anyone did say it, but for me, it's just happy, healthy, wealthy, and it's in that particular order. It's never wealthy first. It's always happiness first, my health, and then. Wealth is the, the nice little thing or the cherry on. What would people be surprised to know about you? Even if they know you, what would they be surprised to know about you? What's something that they don't know about you? I think the biggest one is my love for soft rock or soft music. Celine Dion, Elton John, those types of folks. I have a huge love for them. And I think I... I uh, have my mother to thank for that. Just growing up on all those years on road trips for hockey, that was always that was on the radio and it just became ingrained in my subconscious. And now I just love listening to Celine Dion and Elton <laughs> John. And unfortunately, I have to admit to that. But uh, I think that's one big thing that a lot of people don't know. But uh, secretly, I try to yeah. keep, uh, keep it myself. I hear you're a Neil Diamond fan too. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> So, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get to the gates? For me, because I'm living to 100, what took you so long? What took you so long? <laughs> awesome. 
room, desk, or your car? What do you clean first? I'd probably have to say desk because that's where a lot of my thoughts are organized and that's where a lot of my notebooks are. And I need to have a clean space in order to keep uh, my mind clear. A scale of zero to 10, how weird are you? Probably a five. Yeah, you're, you're pretty, yeah, you're pretty straight laced. You're not. <laughs> so uh, aside from Think and Grow Rich, what's the most impactful book you've read or that you would uh, give as a gift? To be honest, one of them was a relationship book. It was uh, called Getting the Love You Want. I forget the author's name, but the book really just kind of opened up my eyes and made me realize what things were happening to me and why they were and just kind of diving into my childhood about it. Do you have a favorite tune aside from Celine Dion? Mm, Probably one song that stands out is uh trooper here for a good time not a long time <laughs> trooper gosh favorite movie uh the batman series by christopher nolan pick any three i love them all awesome what are you grateful for i think the biggest thing i'm grateful for is the awareness and awareness of just being able to think consciously and diving into subconsciously and then working with that to harness friendship relationships and other opportunities in life. Cool. Kyle Guthrow, I'm grateful to have you on the show. I'm grateful to call you a friend. I look forward to a lot of really epic things that we've got going on and behind the scenes and going forward that uh, many of our listeners will hear about. And uh, once again, thank you for being a guest today on the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. It's been great. Lots of learning. Lots of insights, and thanks for being so open in your sharing. Honestly, Patrick, it's uh, I learned from the best, and I want to thank you for allowing me to share my stories and be on your show. Okay, pal, we'll catch up soon. Sounds good. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.